How many am I new to that have never heard or seen me before? Gosh, it's four and a half. This is incredible. I wasn't, you guys have really been doing some work here. But uh, I know what you're thinking, those people that are new to me are you're thinking, this guy looks just like Brad Pitt. But uh, <laughs> my wife says Danny DeVito, I don't get it. But, uh, but I'm just Kelly, and, um, and I'm, uh, been, my wife and I have been working in the former Republic of Transkei. We made a 40-year commitment to work with the Osa tribe, and we've only been there 33 years. But, uh, so I'm going to be telling you a bit about it, but this church has been really significant, uh, and I'm not just saying that in a patronizing way, in what God is doing there. So I'm here to report back to you what you're doing in Africa. And also, uh, since I'm new to more than half of you, uh, I'll tell you a little, everybody's wondering, you know, what's he done? Can he run? Who's his son? Is he fun? All these other things. So I'm going to share a little bit about me, but more about Africa. And also my wife, uh, she's going to try to be here this weekend, but uh, she uh, couldn't make it, but uh, I wish she could. My, my wife is the most godly person I've ever met. My wife is my hero. Um, I wish I could be half the woman she is. Wait a second. I didn't quite mean that like that. But... Uh, also, these cards that you see around you, that's for if you want to get our junk mail and hear about what God's doing in uh, the bottom of the world. Uh, you could fill that out. Those will be collected somehow at the end. And if you have a little message, you could put it on back. So uh, that, that's about it. And I'm just trying to think of anything else. I don't think so. Um, let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you for allowing us in your living room and uh, the privilege of this meeting with you and that you'd be the center of what we're all about. It's not about a church or a mission. It's about you on the cross. Help us to be focused. Take charge today, this morning, and uh, also protect me from myself, that you and you alone would be glorified. Amen. Real... Quickly, my testimony, I was born at a young age, (laughs) I can do better than that, I was born in a Jewish home in Canada, in a little town called Toronto, I know none of you have heard of that, but, um, and uh, my grandfather was the rabbi on St. Clair Street, and I was raised uh, Jewish, I was bar mitzvahed at Temple Beth Torah under Rabbi Krauss. Both parents were Jewish. My mother's parents moved out or rushed out during the programs, and my dad and his sister made it through World War II, but the rest of the family didn't. But anyway, I was raised Jewish. And, uh, and then after Bar Mitzvah, I went into the world and got, you know, drinking and drugs and partying, and, and I know none of you have ever done any of that, you know, and uh, I know different because you guys are Lutheran. What do they say? Whenever there's four Lutherans, there's a fifth. I don't know about that. But, uh, no, I'm just joking. But, uh, maybe not. Um, but, uh, anyway, um, I, um, where was I? Oh, so anyway, I, I, I went to the world and it's partying and, and all this. I went through college and got a, 
around seven university degrees in law school and all that. And I always wondered what you Gentiles believed. And, you know, and I, you know, and I could never really, Christians couldn't talk to me. They had to yell. You know, I, I had a simple question they had to yell it at me at. And when they yell, they spit. I don't, I don't get it, why they had to yell and spit and the King James lisp and all this. But I did have questions, and, and, uh, but no, Christians couldn't share it with me. And I, I wanted to know what you guys believed. And uh, it's up um, where we were up in Montana, where I'm from. Uh, I had a CPA corporation back then. I was married with my 2.3 kids or whatever. And... Uh, and I met a, a logger that was, had a similar background. He's a Christian, and uh, he shared the gospel with me. And then he said something that was pretty profound. He said, salvation's a free gift. Well, as soon as he said free to a Jewish boy, <laughs> duh, of course I got saved. If it was double coupon day, I would have gotten saved twice. But I got saved on a freebie. But the point I want to make here this morning is I was saved. I invited Jesus into my heart. I believed him to be the Savior. I was a Christian for two, three years, but I never knew the Lord Jesus. I knew the Savior, the Messiah, but I never knew the Lord. Jesus wasn't my Lord. He was my little servant, my little genie in the lamp, my little prayer uh, thing I'd go to when I needed something, you know, I'd call him up and say, you know, hey, help me with this. And that, that was my relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden I realized, I read in the scripture, that he's Lord. And uh, back then, <clears throat> um, you know, there's a guy named Keith Green. Some of you may remember him. And he said, You're, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And I realized that if he's God, if he's 100%, if he's real, then he's 100% God. And there's a day coming where I'm going to stand before him. And he's, will he say, depart from me? I don't even know you. Or he's going to say, welcome, good and faithful. And I want to make him Lord. If he's real, so I had a choice between either living 100% for Jesus or just watching NFL and watching the Vikings lose to the Rams. But uh, so I, 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 yeah, it's kind of vacillating this whole thing. And I go, he's got to be real. And if he's real, I need to give up the American dream, live for myself and my wife. We had five kids back then, really. And uh, up in Montana, and uh, and make him real. And so, I wanted my life to be significant. I wanted my life to live for him. I don't want to wake up when I'm 85 years old and turn over in bed and look at my wife and say, "What have we really done that counts? Well, we tithe. We even tithe the 11 percent, or we're an usher, or do the parking lot, or whatever." But we could have, should have, would have but we're too insecure to do anything about it. And uh, I don't want to waste my life on myself. So out of that, I go, how can I live for the Lord? And I started praying. I go, Lord, how can I live? And he gave me a vision of people who are dying and, and dead and people with dark skin and 
with dark eyes and kind of fade in, fade out vision. And uh, it's kind of creepy. And, uh, and the Lord says, I see this every day. And I go, well, uh, and so out of that, I go, well, I'll start praying for the lost. And uh, the Lord starts saying, no, you need to trash your life and go out and reach the lost. I go, well, can I do it right here in Montana? And he goes, no, there's people, there's millions of people, there's thousands of people, tens of th- uh, hundreds of thousands of people who don't, have never heard about this Jesus. And I go, well, yeah. kind of sounds like missions, and I don't think so. At the time, I had my CPA corporation as a financial advisor to the governor and and that's teaching at university and doing other things, qualifications. And the Lord's saying to trash my whole life and go into missions. And I go, no way. I'll end up in Devil's Island, the cannibals, and some weird place like Mongolia or Northfield or I don't know. <laughs> I, and, you know, I go, no, Lord. But, you know, the Lord doesn't let you off the hook. You know, and wrestling with God is like wrestling with a sumo wrestler you end up in some orifice you don't want to be in. You know, he, he wins. And so I go, okay, Lord, I surrender. I'll go wherever you want. I'll trash my life. Well, you know, but you have a problem. You have to tell Kathy, my wife, because there's no way I'm going to tell Kathy that, you know, we're going to, you know, go to Afghanistan and uh, start a church there or something. And uh, so anyway... Um, I didn't put little tracks on the toilet seat or, you know, mission magazines. On the, I just prayed. After around nine months, we're driving uh, home north during one of those whiteout snowstorms. I'm sure you all in Minnesota know about those. And uh, also just Kathy and I were driving back north where we live, north of Kalispell. And uh, it's whiteout, and her and I, all of a sudden she convulsively started crying. And uh, sobbing and nose running. And she goes, Kelly, could you pull over? There's something I need to confess. And I go, oh, milkman or mailman. <laughs> so, you know, is she going to take the dog in the pickup? I, I, I don't know if I should pull over or not. So I pull over and I'm holding on the steering wheel thinking the worst. And uh, she's sobbing and nose running. And I go, what is it? And she goes, Kelly, I believe we're called to reach the lost of the world. I go, like, like missions? And yes, yes, missions. I said, well, I'll go along, but if it doesn't work, it's your fault. <laughs> you know, and uh, so I'll buy in. But So out of that, we uh, applied at 52 mission organizations. We're turned down by all of them. They said we're too old, too many kids, no theological training, all kinds of reasons. And so I'm dealing with some serious rejection. I go, well, gosh, Kathy, I don't know if no one wants us. And, you know, how's, it, how's God going to find you in Montana? And uh, people go to Montana not to be found, by the way. So, uh, so we just prayed. And I got a call from a guy from the World Center of Missions said, Kelly, I hear you're being called to missions. And I go, well, yeah. He goes, you know where? And I go, well, Latin America or Mexico. He goes, how do you know that? And I go, well, 
I like Mexican food. <laughs> and he said, is that your only reason? And I go, yeah. And he thought I was a real Philistine and whatever. And, and so he goes, well, what do you think of the trans sky? And I go, I don't know. What is that? Some airlines? I don't know. And he goes, it's this little country of around 5 million people, mostly unreached, never heard the gospel, never had a white person go in their village. And, uh, and there's uh, only five missionaries to 5 million people and uh, 85% unreached. And I go, Africa, I don't think so. Do they have Mexican food there? No, no, but so I said, I'll pray about it. And that was my mistake, church. I need to tell you, don't pray about anything <laughs> unless you want God to speak to you. And uh, the more I prayed about it, I'd run into African missionaries or people who've been vacationing in Africa or safari or National Geographic Africa while I'm in the dentist waiting room and come home one night and my kids are watching Lion King and I said, shut it off, you know? <laughs> it was really getting weird. So I said, Lord, I'll go there for 30 days to prove that we're not called to Africa. And uh, so I went there with uh, my business partner and a couple of clients. And during those 30 days, two things that so changed and impacted my world is one I saw during the 30 days, we saw between three and 500 people come to Christ. Now, we might see that in one night showing the Jesus film, having a big tent evangelism now. But back then, that was huge for this, you know, you know, guy from Mud Puddle, Montana, you know. And I just go, this is awesome. The other thing is, I saw my first miracle. And I didn't quite believe in miracles. Kind of, it made for a good story. Maybe in Jesus' day, in our little cowboy church, we... You know, we talked about it, but you know, really, miracles? I, it didn't make sense that when it, because I believed in the laws of physics and all that. And and uh, but when you see it, your faith goes off the faith meter. And for me to come here and start describing the miracles that we have experienced over the years, and then uh, you just say this guy's evangelistic, or I don't believe him, or whatever. So, but for me to see it. You know, I just go, God is way bigger than what I thought he was. And so I came back and I said, Kathy, guess what? She goes, we're going to Africa, aren't we? And I go, yeah. And then we made the mistake of reading Matthew 19. Oh, that was, we should have torn that one out. But that was about the rich young ruler. Now up in northwestern Montana, you know, compared to the loggers and the skidder operators and the mill workers, we were rich and young rulers or leader in our church. And, um, but that said to the rich young ruler says, who really wanted more of Jesus said, he said, what do you have to do? And he goes, well, you have to go to church and tithe and do the basics, 10 commandments. I don't know. And he says, well, I do all that. He goes, well, then have everything you have, sell it, give it away, everything and follow me. And and so out of that, we believe the Bible. Can you imagine? And uh, so we gave away our three houses we owned. We gave away four to 500 acres we had. We gave away our businesses. We didn't sell them and keep the money in a nest egg or an IRA. 
We just gave it to ministries and ministers and people in need. And we moved to Africa, to the Transkei, where we didn't know anybody and we didn't speak the language. And there's no white people. Even to today, you won't see a white person. And uh, and we uh, got down there. We had our five children. We had our sixth child there, Maria. Oh, jeez. The last child's, uh, I don't know. She comes back here to college, and she tells, you know, she's at the dorms, at the interracial dorms, and she goes, I'm African-American. And they go, no, you're not. No, you ain't. You know, she looks like a little marshmallow in the cocoa in Africa. But, you know, shh, don't tell her that she's not. But anyway, uh, so we had, went with five, ended up with six. And we started to go into the villages, and uh, unreached villages, and I shared a message on John 3.16, and that's really been basic message. As a matter of fact, one guy, uh, Dave Introsio, a pastor from Montana, came to visit, and he said, uh, what do you share? And I go, well, I share John 3.16. He says, well, is that all you share? And I go, no, I have five sermons, because you only have five sermons, You've been here a couple of years. You only have five sermons. And I go, yeah. Three of them have stolen. Because you steal sermons? And I go, oh my gosh, they're my best ones. And so uh, uh, if I hear, you know, Dean share a good message, I'll steal it. And when I get back to Africa, you can sue me. I don't care. But uh, I'm not original. And, there, and I like sharing that because some of you may be called to come down and join the work there. I hope that there might be some of you that might have that calling on your life and, and say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, you can steal some of his sermons. You know John 3.16. You don't have to be a theologian. You just have to have the right heart. And so we'd go out and we'd start at sunset, and uh, Zach, your uh, former pastor, he'd go there and start at, Sunset and go all the way till sunrise, take around three, four hours off and go into the day. And we'd see approximately 80, 100, 120 people come to Christ every night. And Zach saw that. And, and so we're planting like three to seven churches every month and uh, seeing on the average, uh, usually a thousand people come to Christ a month including witch doctors, tribal chiefs, warriors, all of these things. And so, but the, the, the Bible doesn't say go into all the world to make converts of all nations. Somebody said, where's your discipleship? And I realized we're really losing it. We weren't discipling. So out of that, I'll cut a long story short. The Lord started speaking to my leaders, not to me. Uh, about starting a Bible college 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. And, and, and I just go, oh, gosh, I can't start a Bible college. I, I've never been to Bible college. I need to confess. And, uh, you know, people come and say, are you post-trib or pre-trib? And I don't even know what trib is, you know. But they don't need to know the second coming if they've never heard the first coming. So... So anyway, uh, now I'm going to start a Bible college. 
So, but with God's help, when, when your vision is so big it scares you, it's got to be God. And he can do above and beyond abundantly all that you can imagine. And now we have one of the leading Bible colleges. It's a three-year Bible college in the trans guy. Maybe it's two years. I'm not sure. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's the only one. And it's the only one in the native language. So, so we're doing evangelism. I think we've stopped keeping record. We've baptized over 40,000 people. We uh, started uh, over 1,400 churches. And uh, so God's doing a mighty thing through you folks here in Northfield. We couldn't do it without you. So it's exciting to see all these churches and all these people. And I I suppose we have membership of, we don't count, but probably around 50,000 people in all all our churches. But but one of the problems we have is uh, a pandemic called AIDS, where half the people are HIV positive. So if I'm preaching in Africa to you, I would know that in a couple of years when I come back, Half of you won't be here, not because the Vikings are doing good and you want to go to the game, but because of HIV/AIDS. I bury around five to seven people a day, bloated bodies, decomposing bodies, covered with flies, the stench of death, and it's part of what we do. And so, how do you combat something like that? So we prayed about it and went to World Health and government and went to UN and UNICEF and other things and uh, really found to realize that no one's really doing anything about it. And I go, Lord, we got to find someone that's doing something about it and not too much is being done. And the Lord's saying, why don't you do it? And I go, I'm not a doctor. You know, I... I we don't have doctors there, but I'll stitch people up with dental floss. I'll pull teeth with channel locks. I'll, I'll do things like that, deliver babies. But, but I'm not a doctor, not a real doctor. Uh, so I am not, as a matter of fact, my wife not so long ago sent me to a store for a bottle of B12 vitamins. So I brought back two bottles of B6 and she got all upset with me like I was wrong. Can you imagine? And I said, two, just take two B6s. And she just, you know, she has a medical background, so she thinks she knows what she's talking about it. So, uh, so anyway, we, uh, uh, we started this Bible, uh, not this Bible college, this hospital, this HIV AIDS hospital, we saw 78,000 people last year alone come through our HIV AIDS hospital. It's almost exclusively for AIDS, a little bit for tuberculosis. And we could not be doing it if it wasn't for a little church located in Fairfield, Minnesota. That's praying for us, standing with us, supporting us. And so uh, what we're doing is really what you're doing. But it's not just so much the HIV AIDS, the medical end, but now we have half the population. Population is, what, 8 million people now in the trans sky. 
half the people are under 16 years old. Where you have a family of five where the oldest member is 12 years old. They have no parents. We have villages that are just children. And so we have right now somewhere between three and 4,000 orphans that we care for. And we have children's centers and children's shelters. And, and how do we feed them? How do we care for them? Well, it's because of this little church in Mud Puddle, Minnesota, that's standing with us and praying for it. It's what you guys are doing. And, uh, and so we're taking care of the children. We're doing the best we can, not just giving them food to eat and shelter and protecting them, but we're also giving them the gospel that's going to change their lives. And we couldn't be doing it without you. So, so we got the clinics, we got the children's shelters, we got the hospital, we got schools, we got all this stuff going but we have a couple of problems. I'm here to report our problems as well as our victories. And one of our problems is we have 8 million people, 8 million OSA, but there are no other missionaries in the Transkei. Among 8 million people, there's no other missionaries other than Kathy and I. I don't know, if, is there more than a million people in Minnesota? I don't, I don't even know. It was? There's five million? Okay, so it's like having all of Minnesota plus a little bit of Wisconsin maybe, but with only one pastor. And uh, that, that's what we're dealing with. And so we have a waiting list that if they want Jesus to come to their village, we have tens of thousands of unreached villages they have to get on a waiting list and wait two, three years because we're trying to reach them as much as we can, but we can't keep up with the demand. They want Jesus, but uh, we, we can't do it all. So we just keep working, pushing ourselves one more day. We're hoping that we have the beachhead, but we're hoping that the Lord brings the reinforcements. God's army lands there and helps us to reach the unreached among the also. Uh, somebody asked me to share this one testimony before service, and I will share it as I close. And that was, uh, I think I shared it here before, I guess is how they knew. But uh, we're in, uh, we hiked in, and you know we hike in for like two, three, four weeks sometimes on crusades. And we're in a place called Maguebi. And we shared in a little mud hut with the dung floor and grass roof. And, and, uh, and so uh, people got saved. And so many people got saved that people were coming from the other villages and putting blankets on the hills. And uh, we had a loudspeaker and we're preaching to them. And it was like open air crusade. And everyone was getting saved. And after around three days, we had to move on. We had to... Inc- Cross the Mbashi River and go up to Limpopo and other areas. So I'm packing up my stuff to leave, and one of the three visiting chiefs comes to the door, but he wouldn't come in the mud hut I was staying in. He just stood at the door with his walking stick and blanket, and he said, "You know, Gaina, Izapa, come in, enter." And he wouldn't come in, and uh, I went outside to see why he wouldn't come in and what was his problem. And I knew him to be a chief. 
And he said, you see across this valley, see that big tree over there? That's my village. And it's bigger than Megwebi. It's called Umtombani. Please bring this Jesus to my village. And I go, well, we'll put you on the list, and it'll be around two, three years. He goes, no, 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 no. Hi, Fenduzi. We need to, we need to, you need to come and do this now. And I said, no, I can't. We're just booked solid for the next two, three years. And he's pulling out my sleeve, just begging. And I had to just say no to him. And then he just looks at me, and I could see her the, see the tears wash the dust from his face. And he let go. He turned around with his walking stick. He just walked down the path away from the hut that I was in, going back home to his village. As I watched him go, I was, I was frustrated because I, too, wanted to reach Mtombeni and all the other tens of thousands of unreached villages. He was frustrated, and I live in frustration. But more than that, my Lord is frustrated because he wants Mtombeni and all these tens of thousands of villages reached. And folks, you guys have the answer. You've heard Dean's sermons. You've heard Ryan's sermons. You've heard, you have a Bible. You know John 3. You have what it takes. Excuses abound. Everyone has excuses. Uh, I was just telling somebody about a lady uh, not so long ago. She came up to me after I shared, and she said, well... You know, I would go, Kelly, but I'm 60 years old. And I go, well, I'm 70. She goes, but I have a grandchild. I go, well, I have 10 grandchildren. She goes, I have a bad knee. (laughs) Don't even go there. Everybody has an excuse. It's like, here I am, send my sister. But, But what... I don't know if the Lord's buying excuses. I just uh, leave you with the Holy Spirit to speak to you on what God's speaking to you. With that, I'm going to, if we could just uh, close with that little two-minute video, and I'll uh, turn it over to the powers that be. Take a look around, what do you see? There are so many people living life in misery They need hope, they need Should be preach, teach, preach, constantly share, care, bringing his hope to the homeless, helpless, building and building his kingdom of love. Preach, teach.
Let's just pray with Kelly. Can we do that? Would you, Rick, send a hand towards Kelly and, and the work that God's called him to do and, and the partnership that we get to partner in in sharing the gospel. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the, the word that you've given Kelly today. We thank you, Lord God, for the power of the testimony, Lord God, and how that's so evident in, in his life decision, Lord God, to seek you and to put you first in his life and then to respond to the call that you put upon him to reach those that are, uh, that are far from you, Lord God and bring hope to, the, to those that are in desperate need. And so, Lord God, we know that you continue to do that. I pray for him and his wife as they continue to press on and, and share the gospel in that environment, Lord God. And I just pray that you'd protect him and provide for him, Lord God, in every way. Bless him now as he continues to do his work, sharing this word in the states as he's stateside, and, uh, and, and encouraging and empower him to go back and to continue to share the good work, and how you're stirring in our heart, Lord God, to be a part of that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.